of joyful chatter. Masks don't stop us, do they? We are going to greet each other and love each other. Welcome this morning. I'm so privileged to be with you this morning. My name is Marianne, if we haven't met before. Welcome to those of you who are streaming from home. Okay, put on your thinking caps for just a moment. 20 years and 15 days ago, our nation was rocked by a terrorist attack that we now refer to as 9-11. September 11th, 2001. Do you remember where you were when you heard the news? You remember. Do you remember what it felt like when you saw, because on the West Coast, it was pretty early in the morning, when you saw two airplanes smash into the World Trade Center in New York City, and then an hour later, an airplane crashed into the Pentagon in Washington, D.C., and then 25 minutes later, a plane, Flight 93, crashed in that field in northern Pennsylvania. I mean, we were all terrified. As we watched these events unfold, we suddenly started to realize that this was not a random accident. This was a sinister plot of evil to kill innocent people and to instill fear and insecurity in all of us. And I remember waking up my boys that morning and gathering them with me on the couch and we were watching the breaking news together and I didn't know if I should send them to school that day. Lots of parents were not sure. I mean, we didn't know really what was happening in the moment, so we didn't know. Should we send our kids to school? Is it safe? But that morning was the first morning of a new season of a Bible study that I was attending at Lake Grove Presbyterian Church called Bible Study Fellowship, and I was a discussion leader. And in that moment, I knew that there was no place I belonged more in that moment than to be in a church with a community of God's people. I, my heart just knew that's where I belonged. I needed to be with other women, to pray, to cry, to open God's word, to be reminded about his sovereignty over the world, especially when everything felt so precarious. And I remember that morning that, that Pastor Bob Sanders, who was the pastor of that church, by the way, he passed away this week, really a sorrow, great man. He came to greet us ladies in the morning and he prayed this really profound prayer over all of us that just comforted our hearts and just reminded us of who God was. And then we worshiped together and it just felt like the right thing to do. And then we dispersed to our discussion groups to meet our, our small groups for the first time. And, and in to my group that morning came a woman, I'm gonna call her Monica, to protect her identity. But she came into my group that morning and she sat down in the only empty chair that was left in the circle. Monica had felt, when she saw the morning news, she had felt the same thing. She felt like she needed to go and be with God's people. But the thing about Monica is that she had never walked through the doors of a church before. Though she had grown up in Texas, her parents had immigrated from India and she was raised Hindu. And though she was a first-generation American, her parents had maintained a very strict religious and cultural adherence to their homeland and even had 
put Monica in an arranged marriage with a man who had come over from India who shared their ideologies. But on 9-11, Monica was scared, as we all were scared, and she felt compelled to get into her car and drive to the only church in our whole community that had a parking lot full of cars on a Tuesday morning. And so she walked into that class and she spent that morning with a group of women who truly knew God. See, Monica wanted to belong to the community of Christ before she even believed in the person of Jesus. Now today, we're continuing our discipleship series called Formed, How Jesus Makes Disciples. And let me just kind of refresh your memory about where we've been these last couple of weeks. We began in our series with defining a disciple as someone who entrusts themselves to Jesus as Savior, Lord, and teacher. Then we learned that the way that Jesus forms his disciples is through instruction and practice. Last week, Adam reminded us that we, when, it's when we get out of the boat uh, that Jesus does his most powerful work in our lives, that if we won't get out of the boat and confront the storms and the scary places, we'll miss an opportunity to, to experience God in all his power and patience. And now in these next four weeks, we're shifting our focus onto four words that explain where Jesus forms his disciples. And I'm going to give you the answer right now. It's in the community of the church. That's where. And we're going to look at four B words, four words that start with B over these next four weeks. Belong, believe, become, and build. Those are the four words we're going to look at. Now today, I want to talk about the word belong. And you might be thinking, wait, belong, believe, become, and build. Shouldn't believe come before belong? Shouldn't we believe in Jesus before we belong to Jesus? You might be thinking, well... Let's open our Bibles, let's turn to Matthew 9, and let's see what Scripture tells us. We're going to look at Matthew 9, verses 9 through 13. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house... Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is God's word. So let me pray. God will open our ears this morning. Father, we come to you this morning with a lot of distractions, perhaps, with a lot of heavy things weighing on our minds. Maybe even just recalling the story of 9-11 has stirred up some things in us, Lord, I want to ask that you would meet us as we sang by your Holy Spirit in all your goodness, that you would open our hearts and minds to attend to you, that your spirit would be present in this place, that your spirit would teach us, remind us, instruct us, so that we can be changed to be more like Jesus. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so today we're going to look at two aspects of belonging. First, we're going to talk about belonging to Jesus. 
because Jesus invites us to belong to him sometimes before we even know him. We are actually recipients of his hospitality towards us. And then we're gonna talk about belonging to one another because Jesus then often works through our acts of hospitality to cultivate community in a lonely, isolated, broken world. So we are instruments of Jesus's hospitality to others. So here's the headline. Here's the big thing that you wanna write down. Jesus's hospitality towards us inspires our hospitality towards others. So let's open our, our Bibles again to Matthew 9 and see what happened when Jesus called Matthew. Now, before we go to the passage that we just read, I want you to bounce back up to, to verse one of chapter nine and let's get the context before we see what happened when Jesus called Matthew. So in beginning in chapter nine, we discover that Jesus is actually in his hometown of Capernaum. And Capernaum is near the Sea of Galilee. It's where he hung out and did a lot of ministry. And he has, in those first few verses, we discover that some friends have brought to him a man lying in a, on a mat who is paralyzed and Jesus has healed him. But what was even more miraculous than this man's physical healing is that Jesus also declared that this man's sins had been forgiven. And so everybody who is witnessing this miracle and these audacious claims is going like, what? Only God can forgive sins. So indeed, Jesus is saying that by claiming that he can forgive sins, he is indeed God. Verse eight says, when the crowd saw it, they were afraid and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. Okay, and then Jesus moves on. Look, and Jesus, as Jesus passed from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth and he said to him, follow me. So Jesus has just revealed himself as the one who can forgive sins. And now he sees him passing out of the corner of his eye, another man who is known by everyone and despised by everyone as a sinner. His name is Matthew, and he's sitting all by himself in a tax booth by the road. Now we learn from the other gospels that Matthew's original name was Levi until Jesus later changed it to Matthew, and Matthew means gift of God. Now Matthew, he, he's writing this, right? He's the author of what we're reading. He's a, a pretty modest guy, so he tells us very little about himself as he's describing how Jesus called him to follow him. But we know that Matthew was a Jew. We know that Matthew was a tax collector by trade. We also know that he was very, very smart. He was highly respected. You know, tax collectors had to be fluent in four languages. They had to know Greek, they had to know Hebrew, Latin, and Aramaic, and they had to be very, very skilled in math. So here we have this highly intelligent, well-educated man who is literally hated by society because of his job. Now, Matthew would have actually been viewed as being completely unacceptable as a person in this community for three different reasons. First, he was politically unacceptable. He was politically unacceptable because of his engagements with the, the Roman rulers. So in those days, 
the Roman government set a standard tax fee for all the occupants of the land. So you know what? November 15th is coming, the day we dread when we all get our tax bills, right? When we get our tax bills, we know exactly what we have to pay, though we don't like it in Lake Oswego. We get, at least we know. In those days, the amount due to the landowner was kept a mystery. So what would happen is that the landowners would never know actually what their amount due was, and the tax collectors were in collaboration with the Roman government to try to get as much money as they could, and everything they got in excess of what was required, they got to keep. So for example, the Romans taxed things like income, number of males per household, how much agricultural produce you, you, you brought forth during the course of a year, those things. But then the Jewish tax collectors would tax on entering and leaving a city, crossing a bridge, uh, having pack animals. They even taxed on how many wheels were on your cart. So they taxed crazily and the, the, as much money as they could get, they took for themselves and they became very, very rich and the other people became very poor. And remember, they're Jews. They're all from the same community. So Matthew was considered politically unacceptable. But he was also considered religiously unacceptable because the, the Jews banned tax collectors from worshiping at the synagogues. They considered men like Matthew to be religiously unclean. They were considered to be the same as a leper, that you weren't to get near them, they weren't to worship in the synagogues. They were considered total outcasts in their community. In fact, a tax collector could never even testify in a court of law because their words were considered useless. So he was religiously unacceptable. But he was also socially unacceptable because tax collectors like Matthew were considered the lowest echelon of society. And people were forbidden to travel with them, to do business with them. You couldn't invite a tax collector over into your home. You couldn't have anything to do with a tax collector in any way. Now, Matthew, imagine, okay, Matthew, he was probably shunned, he was ridiculed, he was isolated, he was shamed by his culture, he was probably booed and hissed at when he walked by. And in a culture that's an honor-shame culture, the community is all part of expressing that kind of shame. So, so Matthew to that community would have been considered as though he was dead to them. Okay, but then Jesus shows up right? He's just passing by. He's just living his everyday life. He's just moving from one place to the next. And the next person he sees sitting by the road is a tax collector named Matthew. Okay, bear in mind that Jesus has just revealed himself as the one who forgives sins. And I imagine that the sins of that paralytic man that he just healed were not his most obvious characteristic. They were not his defining feature because he was a disabled man. Let's think about this. How many sins can a disabled man really commit when he's paralyzed and lying in bed all his life? He's certainly not going to be able to murder or commit adultery. There's probably a lot of things that he was more known for than his sins. But Jesus still looked into his heart as he healed him. He still saw this is a man who needs forgiveness for his sins, and he proclaimed him forgiven. But now, Matthew is front and center. Matthew is a man where 
everybody knows he is the worst sinner. He's hated by everyone. He doesn't have a true friend in the world. And now Jesus comes to him and extends an invitation of hospitality. He's like, Matthew, come and follow me. Matthew, leave your post. Get out of your chair. Come and follow me. What do you think is going on in Matthew's head? I mean, most likely Matthew had hung around the fringes of the crowd. He had probably heard some of Jesus's teaching. Jesus wasn't a complete stranger to him, but Matthew never would have imagined that Jesus would say to him, come and follow me. And what did Matthew do? He rose and he followed. Matthew literally got out of his tax collector chair and joined his life with Jesus. Luke 5, 28 tells us that, that Matthew left everything behind, that he left his job, he left his deceitful practices, he left his financial security, he left his shattered identity in society. He didn't have a lot to give up that was of good value, but he left it all behind. He got out of that chair and he went and followed Jesus. Now, notice this is the same hospitable approach that Jesus used with the other's disciples. If we think of, of Peter, Andrew, James, and John, Jesus's approach was, was leave your boat, leave those nets, leave that job, leave that income, come and follow me, come and be with me. I will make you fishers of men. And fishers of men is so much better than fishers of fish. Come and be with me. And I imagine that, you know, we know Matthew didn't fully know Jesus at this time. He didn't really know who Jesus was, but he was willing to leave his old life behind and join in with a company of men and women who were following Jesus. When Jesus spoke those words, follow me, Matthew was compelled to take Jesus on his offer. He wanted to belong even before he believed. A few weeks ago, I had the privilege of baptizing a young woman in our community named Michaela. And when Michaela married her husband, Shang, they had agreed that even though she wasn't a Christ follower, that um, when they had children, she would be willing to raise the children in church and that she would be willing to, to, to bring them into a community where they could learn about Jesus. And so Michaela agreed, and she and Shung have had children, and they've come to River West, just as they said that they would, where she can introduce the kids to Jesus. And I asked Michaela, I asked her, what is it like for you to bring your family to church on Sundays as an unbeliever? And surprisingly, she said she liked it. She said that, that she, she felt good after she attended church. She felt really comfortable in the community of people worshiping. She really enjoyed hearing what her children were learning in Sunday school. She said that she felt like she belonged here, even though she hadn't surrendered her heart to Jesus yet. She even joined the river last year, participated in a Zoom group when we did the study of Psalms. Well, then one day, Michaela experienced a, a very deep despair over something that happened, and she was afraid about what was going to happen next. And so she got down on the floor, 
she got on her knees and she cried out to Jesus. And then she explained to me how she experienced like the arms of Jesus wrapping around her, comforting her, forgiving her, giving her peace. And it was such a profound experience that in that moment she said she trusted Jesus with her whole life. You know, she belonged to the community of Christ and in that belonging, God prepared her heart to hear and receive Jesus' words when he said, come and follow me. And that's the first truth I want to share with you. And there's power in the word of Jesus when he invites a, a person to come and follow him. There's power in the word of Jesus when he invites a person to come and follow him. Jesus is inviting you to come and follow him, to belong to him, to either begin a journey of following him or to press on in your journey of following him, to, to walk in his footsteps, to stay steady in your course of faith, to realize that it's a journey that lasts a lifetime. Are you ready to get out of your chair like Matthew, to leave it all behind like Matthew did and follow Jesus? And maybe you're new and, and you don't fully understand yet who Jesus is or what following him entails, but I just want to invite you to hang out, hang out with him, hang out with his people and be open and willing to discovering more. Maybe that means for all of us, getting involved in a small community group or getting involved in a men's study or a women's study or a young adult study wherever you are in your stage of life or an, an Oaks group or some way that you can connect with other people, that you can join in in the community of God's people and get to know Jesus together with others. What are you willing to leave behind to follow Jesus? And where might Jesus lead you as you step out in faith to follow him? Think about it. He led Monica to a church full of women who knew and loved him on the scariest day of her life. He led Michaela to a place of such heart despair that she was ready to cry out to Jesus and welcome him in and change everything about who she was. Where might he lead you if you take him up on his offer to follow him? Where did he lead Matthew that day? Where did he lead Matthew? passage tells us he led Matthew to a party, a party full of sinners and tax collectors. So let's read on and see what happened. Verse 10, it says, as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Okay, remember, no one in Jewish society would let a tax collector into their house, right? It was unacceptable. So where does Jesus lead Matthew? back to his house. And I imagine he had a pretty nice house from all the money he got from collecting taxes. He probably had one of the nicest houses in town. Luke 5.29 actually reveals that Matthew cooked Jesus a very nice meal that night and that Matthew then invited all of his dregs of society friends over to enjoy this feast and to introduce them to Jesus. Notice that Matthew is now extending the hospitality that he's received from Jesus to others. 
He's gathered all of his outcast friends, all of his unbelieving friends into his house. He's prepared a great meal for them and he's helping them get to know Jesus. This is actually the essence of hospitality. In the Greek, the word hospitality means love plus stranger or love of a stranger. To be hospitable means that we include others or that we extend love to others for the purpose of transforming the identity of a stranger into the identity of a guest or a friend. Through hospitality, we create safe and welcoming places where strangers can be converted into friends, where those who were previously viewed as with enmity or hostility can now enter a place of welcome and experience a change of identity. No longer a stranger, no longer an enemy, but a guest or a friend. Now think of Matthew as an example of this, okay? Matthew was a despised person in society, but along comes Jesus. Jesus sees Matthew. Jesus knows Matthew. He knows his sins. He knows his sorrows. Matthew, remember, is living in political, religious, and social unacceptability, isolation in his culture. And Jesus calls Matthew to join him. He says, come into my community and hang out with my followers. Most likely, one of his followers is the man who was just healed from his paralysis and others that Jesus has collected along the way. And then this hospitality that Jesus extends to Matthew eventually turns Matthew into a faithful disciple. Jesus then actually changes his name from Levi to Matthew, which means gift of God. And he entrusts Matthew with the privilege of recording the gospel good news. In fact, when we open our Bibles, what's the first gospel we read? Matthew. And you know what Matthew's all about? It's all about Jesus is king. And how does Matthew respond to all of this? He's like, I'm all in, I'm all in. He said, I'm willing to leave that wretched life behind and I'm willing to follow Jesus with everything I've got. And he says, and I want all my outcast friends, all my tax collector sinner friends to know Jesus too. Can you imagine who might've been at Matthew's house that night? Mary Magdalene lived in that area. Maybe she was there. Maybe she was there with still harboring seven demons before Jesus cast them out. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. Maybe Zacchaeus was there. Whose life was forever changed because Matthew invited those friends over to his house for a big meal and an opportunity to meet Jesus. Now, of course, the religious leaders, they did not like this at all. Look at verse 11. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Interestingly, the word hospitality originates from the word hospital, which pictures a place that people can come for healing. People can come for healing when they come into your home, invited into the community of your family, sitting around your table eating food. It's a place of healing. And so notice how Jesus uses hospital language as he talks to the Pharisees. 
he's explaining that he is like a doctor to the soul and the sickness of the soul is sin. And then he quotes Hosea 6.6, which would have reminded the Pharisees, because they knew the scriptures so well, that Hosea was a prophet during a time when Israel had agreed to obey God and they were doing all of the external religious rituals, but their hearts were far from him. And so Jesus is using Hosea to tell the Pharisees, look, this is you. You're doing all the external things, but if your heart was really near to God, you would be showing mercy to sinners like I am. And you're not calling people to repentance. You know what the Pharisees did with hospitality? They used hospitality to exclude people. They used hospitality to to push people away, to not include certain people. In fact, in many ways, they behaved much like our contemporary culture behaves in the way that we use technology and social media. You know, what, what, what we used to call a few years ago as, as social bullying or bullying on social media has now morphed into what is now called cancel culture. You know, whether you're a public persona or not, people are all about exclusion right now. They're all about exclusion. If someone doesn't like what you have to say, you're canceled. You're silenced, you're deleted, you're blocked, uh, you're dead to society. And in recent months, I have to say, I have had some heartbreaking conversations with parents of adult children who have received horrible emails, texts, and video messages from their adult children canceling their relationship with their parents. They have totally cut off communication with their parents, or maybe some have been parents with their children, over disagreements about politics and COVID protocols. This is not the way of Jesus. This is not the way of Jesus. Jesus crossed all kinds of social barriers, all kinds of controversies to display unconditional hospitality. I love this quote from Pastor John Tyson who said, Biblical hospitality opens portals of belonging in a culture of exclusion. Biblical hospitality opens portals, windows, opportunities of belonging in a culture of exclusion. And we are living in a culture of exclusion right now. It's the way of Christ to transform an enemy or a stranger into a friend. Let me give you another truth. Jesus works through our acts of hospitality to turn strangers into friends. You know, sometimes I think we see hospitality as a burden. You know, it's hard to prepare a, an extra place at the table for someone or to welcome someone into our home that we don't know. It takes a lot more energy to, to engage with people that we don't know by asking incisive questions or by maintaining lively conversation. It's so much easier to hang out with our friends where all of that just comes naturally. But 1 Peter 4.9 says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Why do we grumble? Why do we grumble 
about being hospitable to others. Perhaps it's because we've forgotten that we were all once strangers and enemies of God. Perhaps we've forgotten that we were outcasts, that we are the Gentiles, that we are the ones who are not in, were not in the family of God until Jesus showed us kindness and mercy and turned us into friends. Romans 2.4 says, it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Romans 5.10 says, for if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? Remember, we were all once outsiders, all of us. And we only became insiders through a personal relationship with Jesus. Ephesians 2.12 says, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. The best part about hospitality is, do you know that being an instrument of hospitality to others can even become an opportunity for you to entertain angels? Hebrews 13.2 says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. The way that Jesus formed disciples began with an invitation to belong to him and then to belong to his community of followers, the church. When was the last time that you extended hospitality to someone that you didn't know, someone that was a stranger to you, someone, someone that you didn't have a relationship with? Now, this could be a neighbor that you don't know well or a coworker. It doesn't have to be a man under the Burnside Bridge. It can be someone in your sphere that you don't know, that you are not in relationship with, that you don't know what makes them tick. When is the last time that you invited someone to come near, to come into your home, to be part of your family or your community? You know, when is the last time that you engaged with a person who doesn't know Jesus? Because a stranger to you is, can be a stranger to God. You know, even your friends whom you know can be strangers to God. So when's the last time you invited someone to come near so that you could share about Jesus? What if you had an empty chair at your table at dinner tonight? Who would you invite? Who is lonely and isolated and hungry for community? Who would be blessed to be able to look you in the eyes and tell you what the last 18 months have been like? Who needs you to minister the presence of God to them with attentiveness and kindness? Who needs a space to just ask questions about Jesus, to, to ponder the things of faith that they have no one else to talk to about. We can be creative. Seven years ago, or I should say for seven years, I dished up an extra plate at dinner whenever I fed my family and I brought it to my then 92-year-old neighbor. When we moved into our current house, I just became aware that the woman that lived next door to me had been a widow for almost 50 years. She was 92 years old, living on her own. 
And I was actually studying the book of Acts at the time and God tapped me on the shoulder and said, you have a, you have a widow next door. I want you to go over and engage with her. So I did, complete stranger to her. I knocked on her door and I just said, hi, I'm Marianne and I live next door and I cook a lot for my family. Would you, would you like me to bring you a plate of dinner when I cook for my family? And amazingly, she said, yes. See, the thing is we can be hospitable, but other people sometimes don't want our hospitality. But she said, yes, she said, I'd love that. So whenever I cooked for my family, I made an extra plate. And yes, of course, sometimes she came to my house and ate, but she was more comfortable in her own space. So I made an extra plate of food and I bring it over to her. And this began seven years of the most amazing friendship. I loved this lady so much. We would hang out. I mean, I see her all the time and pretty soon, we started talking. I was teaching the Bible at the time, so I would share with her things that I was learning in my studies. And she was much more private about her faith. She would listen intently and sometimes ask me questions. But more than that, I think I got to be, I got to minister the presence of Jesus to her. I got to, I got to provide food. I got to run errands. When she had surgery, she asked me to be by her side to hold her hand. I got to plant her pots of flowers in the spring and water from that her, them for her when she was gone. And we spent hours thumbing through her photo albums. I got to hear all about her life and see her adventures and share all the dailies of life. And we formed the most amazing, beautiful friendship. And I got to be by her side when she passed at 99 years old in her own bed. See, she was just a stranger when I knocked on her door but God turned her into a friend. You know what, Monica, she also experienced the hospitality of Christ when she came to that Bible study group. She continued to come to class every week. She wasn't allowed at home to read the Bible, so she would hide in her closet with her Bible and her lesson, and she would do it every week. And within a few months, she came to faith in Jesus. And over time, she was able to share Jesus with her children. Look around. Who's right next door? Who's in your school? Who's at your workplace? Who's right in front of you? Who needs to receive hospitality from Jesus, that you can be an instrument of his hospitality to others, that you can help them begin a relationship of belonging to Jesus and to the community of Christ.